All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Can I get a good morning back from you today? Yeah, it's a good, good day to be in church. If you haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Tyler. I get to be the pastor here of this church that we call Anastasis. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend to spend it here with us. If it is your first time with us today, I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel like you can belong here. I hope you feel like you know that you matter here. Uh, but more importantly, you do matter to us, but you really, really, really matter to God as well. Like, I believe you with all my heart, that he created you on purpose, with a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not here by accident. Your life is not a mistake or an accident, but God created you on purpose for a purpose. And I cannot wait to jump in today because we're going to be talking about that. Somebody in the Bible who had a divine plan and purpose play out in their life through one of the most famous stories of all time. But before we jump into that today, let's just go ahead, let's pray. We'll get ready to roll and then we'll jump into today's sermon. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, you're so gracious and you're so good. You're so kind, God. You're always with us. Lord, I pray that in these moments that we share, Father, that you would be our priority. God, that you'd be our focus. God, that um, everything else would just fall to the side. Lord, we'd lay everything else at your feet and we'd fix all of our attention on you. God, we'd remember that you are what matters most. And so, Lord, I pray during this time, Father, that our, our attention, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds are fixed on you. Lord, I pray over the words that I'm about to speak. Father, I pray that they're the ones that you want spoken. Lord, please omit the words from my vocabulary today you don't want spoken. I pray that only your message is heard today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, or if you weren't, we talked about something that is a little more difficult for us to digest sometimes. And that is what the cost is of following Jesus, that there is a cost. Jesus talks about it multiple times throughout his ministry, that there's a cost that we all have to count to following him. And in verse 24 of our scripture last week, he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it, meaning that the path to life is actually through death to ourselves, that the path to life, the life that Jesus has for us is through death to ourselves, that we actually have to die to ourselves, to our flesh, to our sin, to our selfish desires. We have to give that up and daily bear the cross, as Jesus said, and that the life that he has for us is only found on the other side of death to ourselves. And he tells these group of people that he's walking along the path with, um, that there's a cost to count. There's a cost that they have to count when following him. And the truth of the matter is that our cost is actually unique, that the cost that each of us count is unique. I think for some of us, we don't really like this. For some of us, we want everyone's cost to be the exact same. We want everyone's journey to be the exact same. But the reality is the things that matter most to you probably don't matter as much to the person sitting next to you and vice versa. The things you cling to the most may not be all that important to your neighbor, but to your neighbor, the things he clings to might not be all that important to you. And so for that reason, Jesus in this story, he singled out a few different people and gave them different costs. To one guy, the guy says, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus tells him, he's like, but hey, well, that's great. That's awesome. But listen up, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. 
I don't have a home that I call my own. My roots move. I go and I go and I go. So for you, the cost is going to be the security that's found in just being rooted in one spot. You're going to have to give that up. And then another one, Jesus calls to him and said, hey, come follow me. And he says, well, let me go back and bury my father first. And Jesus responds with this statement that really rubs a lot of us the wrong way before we learn what it means. And he says, well, leave the dead to bury the dead. And we're like, whoa, that's harsh. But the reality was his father wasn't dead yet. And likely his father wasn't even anywhere near death yet. And so Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And he said, well, let me do so after my father passes. And that could be 20 years from now. That could be 30 years from now. Let me do so. So that way he's not angry with me. That way I don't lose my job because likely he would have worked for his father. I don't want to disappoint my parents after I run after this radical rabbi named Jesus that's turning the whole world on his ear. I don't want them upset with me. I believe in you. I know that you're, you're a really, really good guy, but let me first go back and wait till my dad dies so I don't disappoint him. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You need to come. The call to follow me is to say, you know what? It might actually involve having your family not really like your choices. It might actually involve sacrificing some of what other people think about you. And then to the final guy, he says, hey, come follow me. And the guy goes, yeah, I'll do that. But let me first go back and say goodbye to everybody in my hometown. And Jesus says, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And it's another one of those phrases that really rubs us the wrong way. But what Jesus is trying to tell him is, hey, when you know what you're supposed to do, be obedient, don't delay. When you know what you're supposed to do, be obedient, don't delay, don't look back, don't be bound to your past. Whether that's your mistakes or your failures or your successes, whatever the case may be, just look forward, keep your eyes forward on the path that I have for you. And they had to count a unique cost. And the reality is that's the same for each and every one of us. There is a unique cost for us to count. And before we jump into the battle, the walk, the journey that is following Jesus, I believe we have to pre-decide that the cost is always worth it. That the cost of following Jesus is always worth it. Because in the middle of the journey, there will come moments where you feel like the cost is not worth it. I'm just like, just plain and simple. There will come moments in your life where things are difficult, things are hard, and you'll go, I don't know if this is worth it. But then on the other side, you'll realize there is no better path than the one that is following Jesus. There's no better way to live my life. There is no good life apart from Jesus. And so we pre-decide on the front end that the cost is always worth it. So that way, in the midst of the hard things, we've already made a consequential decision that will not be dictated by our new feelings but instead we've counted the cost. We know what we believe. We know we want to follow Jesus. And so we're going to do so. And today we're going to look, like I said, at one of the most famous Bible stories of all time. In fact, there was a piece of me that like wanted to go find one of those old felt boards. Anybody grow up in like kids church back in the day? And you got this like baby blue felt board and like this cutout pictures, the Bible characters, and you put them, anyways. Um, There's a piece of me that wanted to do that because it's a story that really did require counting the cost. And it took me back to my childhood. We're going to look at David and Goliath today. And it's this amazing story of God's power, this amazing story of what God can do, and a story that really should inspire us, whether we're eight years old or 80 years old or somewhere in between. This is an incredible story 
of who God is, his faithfulness to use a very, very unlikely person. So let's pick it up. First Samuel 17, we're going to hear about David and Goliath today. It says this, 17 verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah, and camped between Soko and Azekah and the Ephes de Mim. Listen, I practice those words, man. I, I told, listen, I've told you all, like reading in front of people was something that scared me to death growing up. Reading the Old Testament in front of people is something that scares me to death today. Anyways, we practice those words. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and the Israelites on the other side in a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines, a champion, Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. How would you like to be the shield bearer? Um, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay, let's stop there. We read a lot. We're going to read a lot today. Uh, There's a lot of scripture involved in today's sermon. If you're ready on the count of three, just say, I'm ready. One, two, three. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll read a lot today, but here's what's going on. The Israelites are in a battle with the Philistines. This isn't abnormal. This is something that during this time period went on for decades. They were always fighting with other groups of people, but especially the Philistines. But what is abnormal is the size of Goliath. Doing some conversions from cubits to feet means that Goliath is like nine foot nine. Okay. He is a big guy. He's a giant and his coat of metal weighs roughly 120 pounds. Like that's how big he is. His coat weighs 120 pounds. This is a big dude. And he's out there shouting for a challenger. Raise your hand if you ever played Little League Baseball. Just raise your hand. Okay, good. A number of hands in the room. So you know this. Little League Baseball is not always the most honest sport in the world. Uh, What do I mean by that? There was a point. Listen, if you're playing with just your school, like it's usually pretty honest because you sign up through the school. When you get into travel team and there's kids getting recruited, that's where the honesty has some blurred lines. All right. And I can remember a game once where we we showed up to play this team. And it was probably one of our triple headers that my parents had to suffer through. It's like my kids never going pro. Why are we playing this many games? right? But well, we were there anyways, you know, and we're there and this kid is their pitcher for the other team. And there's no way he was 10 years old. Like there's, there's absolutely no way. Like I could have sworn he had a mustache. The kid was enormous. Like he was so big. Like I like literally, it's like, he could have been one of our dads. He was so big. And so 
But I remember, like, we're, we're standing there, and as we're watching this kid warm up, and he has no idea where the ball is going once it leaves his hand either. And he's throwing so hard. And I can remember, we all are, like, gathering up, and every kid is, like, talking about how afraid we are of this guy. And I'm trying to keep my mouth shut, because one of the things I've learned early on is, like, just don't voice it. Just, just be quiet. You know, just figure it out. Well, my coach figures out that I'm the only one not really saying much, so he's like, Tyler, you're going to hit leadoff today. I was like, oh, really, me? Okay, great. Sounds good. That's a great plan. No joke. I walk up, scared to death of Goliath on the mound, and, and I look down the third base line just in case the coach would happen to give me a sign. And he's trying to tell me to bunt. And I'm like, this dude throws faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life. He doesn't know where it's going. And you want me to square up and bunt? Like, how am I going to square up and bunt and get out of the way of the ball? Like, at the same time, it's not going to work. Anyways, I did it. I actually did get a bunt down. Got to first base. He threw a bunch of wild pitches. By the time I got over to the third, I looked at my coach, and I was like, are you crazy? Like, you know, like, I know I'm not your own kid, so, like, I'm an easier one to put out there for a target, but, like, come on, man. He's like, well, no, you got, we needed base runners. Like, base runners are never that important. Um, but it was, it was one of those deals where I remember the trepidation that I felt as a 10-year-old facing this kid who was not 10. Um, I can only imagine what David's feeling in this moment right now. All kidding aside now, this, this guy is enormous. Nine foot nine. He has a mass, he's a massive guy shouting for a challenger. Mike Tyson used to say, listen, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. In this case, everyone thinks they're tough until they see Goliath. That's what's going on right now. And no one wants to fight him because it would most likely lead to certain death. And it says this in verse 12. Now, David was the son of an... Eph uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Ephrathite. There we go. We got it. Of Bethlehem. I didn't practice that one as good. In uh, Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn. The next of them, the next to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. For 40 days, Goliath came out and did the same thing. And it doesn't say that anyone fought him. So more than likely, they're just all hoping they can just outweigh him. Like, maybe he'll just decide to go do something else for this time. Or maybe, you know, something will happen. Like, I don't know, but none of us want to fight. Day after day after day, Goliath taunted and mocked the armies of Israel, exposing them all as essentially cowards, right? They got fired up every day to fight, but never, ever fought. And it says this in verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, take for, uh, take for your brothers an ephah of, part, uh, of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers and take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. So he's trying to earn goodwill here. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Bring some information, essentially. Hey, David, run this food and bring some information 
to, from them back to us so we know what's going on. And it says in verse 19, now Saul uh, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley fighting with the Philistines. So now it looks like they're fighting, but what's really going on here, you'll find out in a second, is as David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. So they haven't actually started fighting yet. They've just started doing their shouting. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran towards the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. Okay, this is the scene for 40 days. The armies gather up on each side of the hill. They shout and scream insults at each other across the valley. Goliath then struts out, shows off his stature, shouts his insults, and the Israelites just kind of slink away. For 40 days, this is what they do. For 40 days, they yell at each other. For 40 days, the Israelites build themselves up to fight, and for 40 days, they get scared. They're afraid and their desire to fight flames out when they see Goliath. And just to help you understand how intimidating Goliath is, it says that all of the Israelite army was scared to death, essentially. Like every single one of them. There was not one man among them who would take on Goliath. And the reason I say that should show you how intimidating it is, is because I I think sometimes we get this picture in our head that these battles are between like maybe 50 guys or 60 guys. And there's over 3,000 men in the army of Israel that day fighting. And there's not one guy who's willing to go out and fight Goliath. And I thought about this over my life and I've go, I've got some friends who were built without either filters or like they grew up and they're willing to risk it all. And they just seem to never really be afraid of anything. And there's gotta be some of those guys in that story, right? And all of those guys are like, there's no way. Like, there's no way. I'm not going out there. I'm not doing that. So every single one of them fled from him when Goliath came out. So to say this guy is intimidating, I think it's a bit of an understatement. But it says this in verse 25, that then the men of Israel said, have you seen the man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, well, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. So this situation had become so desperate that Saul, the king of Israel, needed to offer basically like a three-part bribe to anyone who was willing to go out and fight Goliath. If you beat Goliath, you got a cash award, you've got a princess, he's going to give you his daughter, and then you're also going to get a tax exemption, basically. That's what it means to be free in Israel. You're not going to pay taxes. So this is what they're doing to induce anyone to fight against Goliath. Other soldiers would focus on the danger and the battle and on the material rewards that could be won, but it seems like there's something really, really special here in David's focus because he focuses on the reputation of Israel, and then he focuses on the honor of the living God. 
God. Look at this. David sets a good example, I believe, for us on how we should operate here, and that is that we should predecide what matters most, right? We've talked about this before. We got to predecide what matters most. They're predeciding that they think it's a fight between like flesh and blood. There's a giant guy, and there's some like rewards to be had. David sees it totally differently. David sees this as a fight on the reputation of Israel and the honor of God. He sees this fight radically differently than they do. So he's pre-deciding what matters most. And what did we talk about earlier in this series? What matters most? Well, what God wants is what matters most. What's most important to God is what matters most to us. And so what we see here is a difference in motive between David and the other guys. The situation, I think, really shows David to be what he's called in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. He cares about the things that God cares about. He saw the problem in spiritual terms, not in fleshly terms. Notice the difference in the language that both sides use here. When the men of Israel say this man, talking about Goliath, David said this uncircumcised Philistine. By using those words, he saw someone that was not a follower of God who was challenging God's people. They saw him simply, Goliath, as a challenge. David saw it as this is a man who does not love God. This is a man who does not follow God, who's challenging God's people. And then when the men of Israel said, surely he's come up to defy Israel, David said that he should defy the armies of the living God. The way in which they see themselves are totally differently. Right? We see a situation here where the Israelites just see themselves as Israelites, right? They're just, that's their country, that's where they're from, right? That, that idea, this is my lineage, but it doesn't bring God into the equation. But the way that David saw them was as God's army, because they're God's chosen people. So Goliath wasn't just fighting any group of people, he was fighting God's people. And then the men of Israel say, and the man who kills him. And David adds something to it. He says, the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel, meaning they see it as a one-time benefit. We just gotta get over this hump of getting over Goliath. But David saw it as restoration on the path for Israel. He saw this as a restoration of the path for Israel. David saw things from the Lord's perspective, but the men of Israel only saw things from man's perspective. And it says in verse 28, now Eliab, his eldest brother, speaking of David, this is David's oldest brother, said, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Right now, what his brother's doing is belittling David's job. He says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him and turned toward another, David, and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Now, what we see right here is a battle between like an oldest brother and a youngest brother. And anyone who has grown up with multiple siblings know that those arguments can get pretty wild sometimes. They can get a little out of hand sometimes. But this one's even a little bit different. Because this one's getting really, really personal really fast. This one is getting personal quickly. His oldest brother is really angry with David. So angry, he's getting personal. And I think he's angry for a few reasons. He essentially calls him a liar and tells him he's operating from evil in his heart. And there's a few reasons why he might feel this way. First, he's angry with David because he felt like David was insignificant in his family, right? David's just the youngest brother, just the shepherd boy. He's only got a few sheep to tend to. He needs to be out there doing that rather than coming here and telling all of us how we need to fight. 
He's not a soldier. He doesn't know what's going on. Who does he think he is? He's just my little shepherd brother. He's not a soldier. But second, he's angry because he felt like he knew David's motivation. Like he felt like he knew what David meant by that. He felt like in his feelings that he knew what David's heart was. But listen to me on this. And I hope this doesn't like rub too many of you all the wrong way, but your feelings will lie to you. Like your feelings will lie to you so often. Jeremiah 17, nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Like that's not a real solid endorsement of the heart, right? Like that is not something that's saying, you know, you really need to listen to your heart. Like that old 80s song, listen to your heart when it's calling for you. Like, no, that's the worst advice of all time. Your heart will lie to you more quickly than your teenage son, okay? Like he will lie to you so, so often. And the reality is the most dangerous lies are the ones we tell ourselves because those are the ones we're going to believe the most often. Those are the ones that we're going to let take root are the lies that we tell ourselves. And so when we're not rooted in God or listening to his voice or reliant on his spirit, our hearts will lie to us time and time and time again. Listen, I want to say this, having feelings, having emotions, those things are not wrong. Those things are fantastic. God gave those to you. But our feelings, our emotions are not always right either. And sometimes they'll lead us astray. They'll lead us the wrong way. And being able to understand the difference is key. Third, I think he's angry because he thought David was trying to provoke someone else into going into battle to fight Goliath. His older brother's like, man, this is a tough battle. Like, you don't need to be trying to push anyone else into this. And there's a potential that his brother may have thought, are you trying to coax me into battle? Like, are you trying to push me out there? Like, I'm not doing this. I've seen that guy. He's enormous. And finally, I think he's angry because he knows David is right. He knows David is right. Man, it is the hardest thing on earth for us when we're overwhelmed, when we are in our feelings, when our life is swirling around us and there is chaos and we're thinking one way and somebody comes up and says something to us and they're right. And we're not always the most teachable when we're in those moments, are we? We're not always the most teachable and open to seeing the truth when things are going crazy. We're not always the most open and teachable in the moments when we're really feeling a lot of anxiety and pressure on our chest. And so David says something about boldness and courage when they're all really afraid. David's speaking from the heart on boldness and courage, and David's right. And that is another reason why his brother is probably really, really upset And the reality is this again is where our feelings will lie to us. But in this moment, David sticks to his position. He doesn't back down. David was more concerned with God's cause than with his own feelings. And it says that when David was misunderstood and and publicly rebuked by his own brother, and what's going on here is there's other soldiers around, so they could have been mocking and laughing at him as well. Really, David could have quit, but he shows the strength of the armor of God in his own life. The anointing of God that's just taken place a chapter before in his own life where he's anointed to become Israel's next king at some point. And he walks boldly and replies and responds in the right way. He did not care about his own glory or his own success, but only for the glory and the success of the Lord's cause. Goliath at that point, the battle has not taken place yet, but Goliath at that point is a dead man. At this point, when David's making a decision that something has to be done about this, that is the moment right here where the battle is won. Predeciding what matters most will help you endure. 
Predeciding what matters most will help you endure. We talked about it earlier. When you get in the middle of chaotic situations, it may not always feel like counting the cost, that the cost was worth it. But this is why we predecide on the front end. It's going to help us endure. His older brother's words could have hurt David probably, but also worse, could have got him into his flesh and out of step with the spirit and caused him to be disobedient with what he was actually called and supposed to do in that moment. But he didn't. David ruled over his flesh. He answers correctly. And then in the next moment, we see something absolutely amazing happen. But before we get to that, I want to let you know something. The same is true with your battles and with your struggles. They're not always defeated in the flashy moment, in the big moment. They're not always defeated when there's a temptation that comes your way and you're able to resist that temptation. But oftentimes they're defeated on the front end before that. When you say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It's done. I'm not going back there. I'm not going back to that situation. I'm not going back to those moments. I'm not going back to living that way. They're not defeated just in the flashy moments when you finally sling a stone, but they're defeated by the power of God when you decide that no matter the cost, no matter the pain, no matter the effort, you want what God wants. And you walk boldly in the freedom, provision, and life that he's granted you. And so it says this in verse 31, that when the words of David, when the words that David spoke were heard, They repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And this moment has to be twofold right here. Saul has waited a long time to hear these words, right? Forty days. Forty days he's been waiting to have somebody finally be strong enough to go up and challenge Goliath. So here we are. I've got somebody for you, Saul. He's like, fantastic. Who is it? And they're like, it's this 13-year-old shepherd boy. They're like, this is a cruel joke, man. Are you serious? He's like, I can do it, you know? <laughs> Put me in coach. And Saul's got to be like, this is, this is not it. Are you serious? Hey, there's good news and bad news, Saul. There's somebody who wants to fight Goliath. Awesome. Bad news. It's this guy. And I imagine that if you're in that moment, David's words might have almost made the matter worse. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. It almost sounds like this young boy is saying, hey, everyone, settle down. I got this whole situation under control. And it probably seemed ridiculous coming from a teenage boy. It may have seemed like youthful pride or arrogance. But check this out. It wasn't. It wasn't. It's another moment where our feelings will lie to us, right? It doesn't seem right. This young, like, 13, 14, 15-year-old kid is going to go out there and slay the giant? That doesn't make any sense. And Saul said to David, exactly that. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Used to, like earlier this morning. I used to keep sheep, all right? He still kind of does, right? But, But he knows he's been anointed to be king. And he also knows that this moment's about to change his life. So David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I love it. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. 
And if he arose against me, I called him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. In that moment, I don't think Saul could argue anymore. He already argued on his age and on his size. And then he sees the fight that is in this little boy. And he goes, he really believes this. I mean, this might actually be possible. It's our only shot, right? It's our only shot. But the reality is God had prepared David for this exact battle when David was just a lowly shepherd boy. All those things that David is talking about are things that God used to prepare him. A lion attacking the lambs, David would fight the lion. A bear came against the sheep, David would battle with the bear. All along, God was preparing David to fight Goliath. So then how long did David prepare to fight Goliath? His entire life. And the reality is God prepares us through battles. God prepares you through battles. Just as David was being prepared, I believe with all of my heart, throughout your life, God has been preparing you. That God has not been wasting your pain. The fight that you might feel like you're in right now, God has prepared you for it through your past. And I want you to know something. The fight that you're in right now, it's just preparation for your future. Think about that for a second, man. The fight doesn't feel all that difficult now when you realize, you know what? No, there's another step on the other side of this thing. There's another step on the other side of this thing. There's another season on the other side of this thing. God's got more for me. My story's not done being written, but God's preparing me because he loves me and he cares for me and he wants to use me. And so in the midst of our preparation, we rarely see how God will use our pain, right? We just feel it. Yet now God, now David can look back and see that the same God who delivered him as before will deliver him again. David knew that God's help in times of past is a prophecy of what is to come in help in the future. God just is faithful. I hope you get that in your bones today. Like God just is faithful. So for us, stay faithful in the fight. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on his heart and remember what matters most to him is what matters most to us. And so we step out in boldness into what God has called us to do. And so Saul relents and it says, then Saul clothed David with his armor in verse 38. And he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, a metal coat. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And as he tried as hard as he could to go, but he hadn't tested them. And so David said to Saul, man, I can't go with these for I have not tested them. So David takes them off and he took his shepherd's staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, from the river behind and put them into his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And at that moment, Saul gathered all the soldiers up and they're like, you better start thinking about what you want to be as a Philistine, okay? <laughs> that dude just took off all of the armor. He grabbed a few stones in his shepherd's staff. This battle's about to be over. Just start thinking about what you want to be when you're a Philistine. This had to seem crazy to everyone, right? He just took off all the armor, okay. Essentially, David goes to battle without any armor, but he had to walk with what the Lord had given him. 
what the Lord had used with him before. There's a spiritual principle here. Oftentimes, people will try to fight with another person's armor. Like they'll see God do something wonderful in somebody's life and then they'll just try to copy it without ever really making it their own. God's work is never most effectively done that way. But David takes what he knew how to use with him, a staff in his hand, five smooth stones, a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had, and a sling in his hand. And David uses the same tools that he used before as a shepherd to kill the lion and kill the bear. And in this case, God's gonna use what he used before. In verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, but he was ready and handsome in appearance. David's a good looking guy. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. That's some legendary trash talk. Verse 45 though, David responds back to the Philistine. He says, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He's like, those are some nice weapons you got there, mister. But I've come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down. I'm gonna cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and with spear, for the battle is the Lord's. For the battle is the Lord's. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. And David one-ups him there. That's an amazing, amazing moment. He lets Goliath know, man, I might be what looks like the only one on this battlefield right now, but I'm not alone. But I'm not alone. I'm not alone. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. I think there are a lot of people in this room today that need that reminder. The Lord is with you. On the count of three, everyone to say it with me. Say, the Lord is with me. One, two, three. The Lord is with me. Come on, say it again like you believe it. The Lord is with me. One more time. The Lord is with me. I want you to believe that you are not alone. You are not alone. No matter how you feel, no matter how it looks, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how big the situation feels, no matter how long you've dealt with that depression, no matter how long you've been in that addiction, no matter how long you've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, I want you to know you are not alone. You're not alone. But God sees you where you are. He cares so deeply for you and he walks alongside you every step of the way and there's nothing he can't do. So David approaches Goliath boldly, like boldly. Goliath tells him, I'm gonna throw your flesh to the birds of the air. I'm gonna throw your flesh to the beasts of the field and David gives it right back to him. And when you come up against the enemy in your life, in sin or in temptation, in fear, or in whatever, I want you to remind him whose you are. You belong to God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. God is your father. 
He is on your side. His temptations will not work. You tell sin, you're not gonna shackle me. Anxiety has no power over me or over my God. Lust has no control over me. Greed is not my future. This temptation will not deliver me, but it's delivered into the Lord's hands. He will sustain me. He will strengthen me. The battle is his and he is undefeated. Come on, if you believe that today, make a little noise for our God. He can do all things. There is nothing he can't do. There is nothing he can't do. Your sin, your shame, your anxiety, whatever. It has the same fate that Goliath has. Its story is written the same way. It ends the same way like this. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drawn near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And then some of us in this very moment go, oh crap, what was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to fight or was I supposed to let God do it? Was I supposed to fight in that battle or was I supposed to let God do it, right? Oh no, what am I supposed to do? Oh, what am I supposed to do? The answer is yes. You're supposed to fight and you're supposed to let God do it. Yes. Like what? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Trust in God. Rely on him to strengthen you. Rely on him to do what only he can do. And then for you, work as hard as you can. Be obedient. Run right at the enemy. Don't be afraid. This is how it works. If it's a sin issue, we combat it head on. We don't flee from it, we, we combat it head on. We set up accountability, we make changes to our lifestyle, whatever the case may be, but we recognize our enemy and we combat it head on. If it's an identity issue, we combat it head on. We read scripture, we pray, we draw near to God, allow him to remind us whose we are. If it's a forgiveness issue, we combat it head on. And we pray for our enemies. We ask God to show us how he's forgiven us how he's delivered us, how he's freed us. And we extend the same grace back to them, whatever it is, we don't just sit idly by like the rest of the Israelites are doing and hope it gets better. We don't just sit idly by and hope that one day everything just changes and it, and it all gets better. But we're active in our faith. We're obedient to make the changes that God leads us to make. So we fight and we combat our situations just like David did against Goliath. And it says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran over and he took and stood over the Philistine and took the sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. All those Philistines were so tough when the big kid got disqualified because he was too old to play in the Little League baseball game. Um, they were so tough, you know, until, until he was gone and they realized, oh no, we, we don't really have a shot here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow the example of David. This is what I think we need to do as followers of Jesus. When you feel like the power has been taken out of your fear, or the temptation that you're facing. You feel like the power's been taken out of it. Don't just stop fighting because it's not moving, but we need to ensure that it's been killed. We need to ensure that it's been killed. David didn't go, oh good, Goliath's down. Hey guys, we won. He finished the process. 
In the same way with our sin, with our anxiety, with our shame, whatever the case may be, we keep going and going and going until it's gone. And then when it's dead, we celebrate what the Lord has done. We celebrate what the Lord has done. Not what you've done, not what I've done, not what we were just so creative and able to do, what God did. Because it's not by our strength that we overcome, but by his. It wasn't because David was just so awesome that Goliath was slain. It was because God had anointed David to be king. And this was a step in his journey. By the power of God, Goliath had been defeated. In the same way in your life, by the power of God, I believe your sin, your shame, your fear, your anxiety will be defeated. So our response is in those moments, God, thank you. God, thank you for delivering me. God, thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for purifying me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making a way when there was no other way. God, thank you for preparing me. And then remember that just as he was with you in this battle, he'll be with you on the other side and he'll be with you forever. So the next time you come into a battle, recall his faithfulness. And then pre-decide, I'm going to endure no matter the cost, no matter what it is, because the Lord is with me, preparing me and fighting on my behalf. Let's go ahead, let's pray together. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and you feel like you're in a battle right now, you're in a battle, it feels dark and you just, you just really, really, really want to see the hand and the heart of God active in your life. And you're just like, I'm just, I feel like I'm alone. If that's you, I'm really sensitive to that. And I want to pray for you today. Just go ahead and slip up your hand. I see your hands all over the room. God, thank you for a group of people who are saying, I want to give my battle to you. And Father, I just want to see you. I just want to sense you. I just want to know you. I want to draw near to you. Father, I pray in these moments and moving forward, God, that you would just make yourself so pronounced to them. And Lord, in the midst of what may feel like complete darkness, Father, I pray that you would just shine the light that you are, bringing peace and comfort to an anxious heart. Lord, bringing healing and comfort to the heart that grieves. God, bringing strength to the legs that are weak. And Lord, I pray that you would remind each of us, God, that you are our God that you're our Father, that you're with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, if you're here today and you would say, I, uh, as, as we were talking today, I just really remembered how God has brought me through some situations. And you want to live from a place of gratitude, remembering what the Lord has done and what he will continue to do. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you as well. Yeah, hands all over the room. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for people who are saying, I, I, I want to live from a place of gratitude with a gracious heart, remembering how faithful you are. Lord, I pray every day, the last thought on our minds when we go to bed is you and the first thing on our minds when we wake up is you. And Lord, we're in the midst of chaos and turmoil or celebration or somewhere in between, God. We would just remember all the good things you've done and how good you are and how faithful you are. Lord, we wouldn't lean on our own strength but remember that you're the God who can do anything, that you're faithful to do it. Lord, I pray that we live obediently, serving you, 
following you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.